All right. Thanks, guys. It's exciting. I, I think that if you've never really been able to just talk to people about their faith, it's a great opportunity just to come out and get some ideas on how to do that. You'll feel much more comfortable after you go out with someone else who's doing that. And, and uh, boy, it's life and death. So I encourage you to pray about getting involved with that. Now let's turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Second chapter of Galatians. We're going through the book of Galatians on Sunday mornings and been in it for several weeks and we'll be in it for a lot more weeks. By the way, you're invited to come out on Wednesday night when we're going through the Bible and we're in the book of Psalms. We finished through Psalm 103 last Wednesday, so we'll be picking up where we left off. But here we are in Galatians, the beginning of chapter 2. The book of Galatians, as we've seen, is a book that was written because the Apostle Paul was really concerned about some teaching that was going around in the churches that was teaching people that the gospel isn't enough. The gospel, as Paul makes clear, is knowing, understanding that Jesus Christ took your sins and died for them. He rose from the dead and he forgives you. And you can walk in newness of life knowing that everything that you need, he's done it. Religion is trying to do things in order to get right with God. Christianity is what God did in order to get right with us. Anything... Paul makes it clear to us that you add to the simplicity and the freedom of the gospel. Anything you add to it makes it so it's not good news anymore. Anything that you take away from it makes so that it's not good news anymore. But the importance of understanding the good news, that you don't have to do anything, that it's not depending on you, that it's not God's not waiting for you to become a good person or to reform yourself. That would be bad news because you can't do that. The law proved that. Now, these guys had come into the Galatian churches and told them that, you know, yeah, Paul told you the gospel, and it's true, salvation is free and all that, but there's some more. You need to follow the rules. You need to conform. You need to follow man. You need to follow the law. You need to, to be good Jews in order to be good Christians. And Paul was making it very clear that that's not the case. Now, Paul also makes it clear, hey, if I thought that was the truth, believe me, I'd have everything to gain by doing that myself. Because over in Philippians, he told us as far as the law was concerned, he lived a pretty blameless life. Paul was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So if being Jewish was necessary in order to be a Christian, Paul would have jumped on that bandwagon. But he says, no, that isn't it at all. It doesn't have anything to do with the law. It has to do with grace. It has to do with letting God accept you the way you are and understanding that if you're going to change, it's going to have to be because God changes you from within. You can't change yourself. And he stresses throughout this first chapter, this isn't a religion that people made up. I didn't just start something, invent it, or get together with the other apostles and design a new religion. He goes, this is something that's from God. He did it, and all you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is understand and accept the fact that he's taken care of you. He's got you covered. It's finished. Paul says, I would be the least likely person to do that. And then as he goes on, and we saw last week, towards the end of the chapter, Paul's stressing that this is an individual relationship with God. This isn't something that you just join up with the people. You just become a part of the group. 
This isn't something that is in any way anything other than you meeting God personally. You coming into a relationship with him. And in that, he points out how individual it is, how he wasn't even talking to a lot of other people about it. He met the Lord, and he began to preach. And the glory of the fact that then people heard, hey, it's amazing. We haven't talked to Paul, but he's preaching the same basic gospel that that we've been teaching. And you have that commonality that happens when you start to get together. But he said, we didn't cook this up. We didn't plot this at all. It's very individualistic. And that presents a problem, however, because when we stress that Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, quite often what happens next is we go, well, then, so you're totally independent? And see, although God wants us each to have a personal relationship with Him, He also wants us to get together. He also wants us to get along together. The glory of the body of Christ is that God takes people who are vastly different. He deals with each of them personally in an intimate way. And then they are able to work together, to get along together. And thus, by those differences, and Paul really emphasizes this a lot in Ephesians, talks about it in Galatians, stresses it in 1 Corinthians. By our differences together collectively, Something good happens where there is actually cooperation that takes place. There's diversity that's there. See, among people, the way that you try to get along is you make everyone follow the leader. You make everyone do what the person up front is doing. And therefore, if we were going to do it easy, I would just say, okay, I'm announcing this week. It's the new Church of Dave, and things are going to be different around here. Because you need to be as much like me as you possibly can. You need to dress like me. You need to look like me. You need to act like me. We, you need to like the same music that I like. And you, See, you're basically going to follow me, and this will be great. And if that was the case, we would have some great unity because we'd all be alike, be a lot smaller. But everyone would look like me. Hey, you have a good, healthy head of hair? Sorry, it's time to cut it off. Because I, when I look at your hair, it makes me feel weird. So the church of Dave is a bald church. This is the way it's going to be. Wouldn't that be glorious for us bald guys? It's like, hey. But see, that's humanly what we do. There is a movement that started, oh, 25, 30 years ago called the church growth movement, still very much alive today. And one of the basic tenets of the church growth movement is key to growing a church is understanding the principle of homogeneous units. Now, that doesn't sound like what you think it might. A homogeneous unit just means people who are all alike. And so each age group will have their own churches. There's a youth church. There's a church for old fogies. There's churches for different races and heritages. And churches for different tastes and types of music and background and educational levels and career choices. And so it's great. You can find the perfect church where everyone is just like you. And it's true when you can do that, some growth happens. But what the problem is, what doesn't happen is, it doesn't look like Jesus. Because in order to paint the picture of Jesus, in order to really depict who he is in all of his aspects, it takes all of us to do it. 
It takes diversity. It takes people who are very different. And so he takes different people and he goes, here you go. You're all in one body. See, if everyone here is wealthy, oh, that's nice. No guilt over what we have. You know, no feeling of maybe I shouldn't dress too nice because it'll make people feel bad. Oh, you're with a bunch of other rich people. Doesn't matter. You can show off as much as you want. It's nice and comfortable. But the truth is, if, if every one of us is a rich person, we will miss an aspect of who God is. That we can only see in people who are very needy. We miss opportunities to minister, but we also miss the connection of the fact that our Lord and Savior, who we follow, while he was on this earth, he was impoverished. He didn't even have a place to lay his head. So you cut that out of the picture, you're missing a part of him. If you say, you know, we are all sports fans here at the Church of Dave, this is what we do, hey, that's great. We get some of that enthusiasm and, you know, yeah, we can all relate, but we'll have to like the same sports and we'll have to like the same teams and even the same people on those teams. Hey, at the Church of Dave, we're Laker fans. No Clipper fans allowed. Or, you know, actually, it should probably be the other way around. Clippers are doing better than the Lakers. But then what happens? Because there's an aspect of the Lord that you don't see in sports, that you need to see in other avocations and other activities. And in every way, in order to paint the picture, you, you don't do it in a monochrome way if you want to depict what God wants his body to look like. It can't just be all these people who are alike. We need every brush, every texture, every color, every perspective possible in order to then put it together and reflect what the body is. And that's why we need to personally have a relationship with Jesus Christ because now we bring to the table who we are and combined with who everyone else is, now the body can be what the body is supposed to do. And so if we follow people, we all kind of look alike. We, you know, are very uniform in every way. Our society doesn't know how to deal with differences. The way that we deal with differences is to categorize people in the prisons. Because certain groups don't get along, you segregate them. You, you separate them and put them apart. just seems to make sense. And probably in some areas, there may be some wisdom to that. But see... On every area, we don't understand the beauty of difference. And as a result, we miss out on so much of what God wants us to see. So that's what he wants to do in the body of Christ. What does it have to do with us, and what does it have to do with Galatians? Well, since he just laid out, this is not a religion of conformity. This is not a let's all get together and everyone be the same. Well, now we have a problem. And it's the reason why we don't appreciate differences so often is because when you get people together who are different, they begin to butt heads. Problems start to happen. Misunderstandings and disagreements take place. And that is what was happening here. And Paul's going to give us some help in how he dealt with some of that. But it's just true. The reason why the easiest thing for me to do would be to pastor a church of people just like me is because I would understand you. Oh, you know, if you are offensive in the same way that I'm offensive, I relate to it. I understand. If you like to worship the way I worship, yep, I get it. But the truth is, when I look at you guys, I don't understand most of you. 
It just, I don't know, it makes you tick. I don't know why you spend time doing what you do, why you spend money buying things that you buy, why you hang out with who you hang out with, why you wear your hair like that, why you dress like that. I look and just go, wow, this is like, it's so foreign. But it's supposed to be, see? But here's the deal. You look at me and go, why don't you get your act together? You're weird. You're different. And yes, I am. But what do you do with those differences? And that's really the question that I want to talk about today. And that's the question that we see dealt with here in Galatians chapter 2. Because as Paul was sharing the gospel up there in Antioch and Cilicia, Tarsus, and up there in what's present-day Turkey, he was quite a ways from Jerusalem. Now, down in Jerusalem, they were, most of the Christians were Jews. They were Jews who became Christians. And so they saw things in a Jewish way. They celebrated in a Jewish way. They spoke in, in, uh, so often in the Hebrew or Aramaic tongues. And they, you know, they were all a lot alike. And so their Christianity seemed really Jewish. They saw Christianity as just an add-on, kind of a, an adjunct to Judaism. But with these people up here in the Galatia area... And up there in, in uh, that area of uh, what's today Turkey, they were mostly Gentiles. And they didn't get all the Jewish stuff. They didn't get the whole kosher deal. You know, and if somebody's going to go, okay, you're a Christian now, so now you can't eat a ham sandwich, they're going to go, what? What is, I thought you just told us Jesus died for me and took my sins. What does that have to do with a ham sandwich? It got more personal than that because... The issue of circumcision had come up, this right that the Jews, God had given them to signify that they were a special people. Well, they started to say, you know what, if you guys really want to be Christians, you're going to have to get clipped. This is going to have to happen. And that's a hard sell to adults, you know. <laughs> Kids don't have much to say about it except, you know, and it's over. But to adults, it's like, what? Well, here as we read in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says then, he had been talking about how he had gone to Jerusalem after he had been a Christian for three years, and now after 14 years, now we don't know for sure if that was 14 years from when he became a Christian or 14 years since he had gone three years before, so it's either 14 years after he became a Christian or 17 years. I think it's probably 14, which would put it around A.D. 50 or 51. So anyway, I went up again to Jerusalem. With Barnabas, and I also took Titus with me. Titus was a Gentile pastor, Gentile convert who was pastoring a group of churches. And I went up by revelation, that is, God told me to go up, and communicated to them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation. So he went in and met privately with some of the more respected people, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So what was going on here, and then we'll draw some conclusions from it. Turn over to Acts chapter 15, and we will see Luke's account of this same situation or the same event that caused Paul and Barnabas to head down to Jerusalem to talk to the disciples. 
Acts chapter 15, it says in verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea. Now again, remember, anytime you're saying down on the map, it's up, it's north, but up is always toward Jerusalem. So certain men came from down in Jerusalem, or as they would say, up in Jerusalem, and taught the brethren, these new Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now here it says basically that Paul and Barnabas and the leaders decided it would be a good idea to go to Jerusalem. We know from Galatians 2 that God showed this to them and spoke to them. So they said they were going to do this. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria along the Jordan River there on the west bank. And they just began describing how all these Gentiles got saved. And they caused great joy to all the brethren. People were excited to hear, wow, Gentiles are accepting Jesus? Amazing. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees, where Paul actually came from the Pharisees, who believed, rose up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them. Get them. Hey, wait a minute and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And then as you read through Acts chapter 15, you see Peter speaks up and James speaks up, and bottom line is they decided, you know, no, you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. So this is what was happening. There was this dispute, there was this argument, there was a debate, and those who were strongly bent toward Judaism were saying, no, you've got to become a Jew also in order to become a Christian. And others were saying, well, there's no way. We don't, sorry, we're not, I mean, if God told us it's one thing, but hey, we're not going to get circumcised just to make you guys feel better. And so there's the dispute. Paul decided to head down. He brought Barnabas with him. Remember, Barnabas was the one who came to Jerusalem with Paul the first time. Paul wanted to meet the disciples, and he headed down, and, and nobody would meet with him because they thought it was a trick because he had been persecuting Christians. So Barnabas introduced him to everyone and go, no, he's a good guy. Well, now, after 14 years, Barnabas comes with him again. They also brought Titus as kind of exhibit A of a Gentile who was filled with the Spirit. Peter over in Acts 15 talks about his experience at Cornelius' house with the Gentiles where they received the Holy Spirit without getting circumcised. And so that story is in Acts chapter 10. So here they are. They're coming down. Now, why? And what point can we derive from this, certainly? You know, Paul said that he came and he met with some of the influential people and he said, I did it so that I wouldn't have run in vain or labored in vain. He didn't, there are a lot of people nowadays who think that, oh, we need to have all this heavy authority structure, levels of, of uh, order within the church, and you should have to submit yourself to those who are above you and things like That's not what this is about at all. Paul was not going to go compromise the gospel. He wasn't going to go down there and ask permission. It's 14 years after he's been preaching. It's a little late for that. 
But the reason that he came was he knew that there were these misunderstandings and he believed that somehow his race, the race that he was called to run, could be hindered if he didn't iron these things out. And there's a huge lesson for us here. Now, for some of you already, you're going, hey, this passage is talking about churches and church leaders, and this isn't relevant to me. I'm not interested in this. It's very relevant to you. Now, maybe you're not a pastor. Maybe you'll never be a pastor or an elder, and so you think, oh, church government, ah, let it go. But you guys, we are the church. We're, all we are is a big family. And so the same principles that apply to dealing with the church apply in your own family and with your own friends. And it's important for us when we see differences to go, first of all, to hear from God as God led them to say, okay, here's what I do next. Now, as you read the passage, there are two specific categories of people who were having issues. One category of people were the well-meaning apostles in Jerusalem who just hadn't had a chance to get to know Paul or to hear from him, to understand what it is that they were doing. They were hearing rumors. They were hearing from people who were stirring things up, but they hadn't heard it from the horse's mouth. But there were also people who were there just to stir up trouble, who were there to rob them of their freedom. And watch how Paul deals differently with the two groups. In the one case, he spent time with them. He explained to them. In the other case, he said, I didn't even give them the time of day. I didn't mess with them at all. The first group, the apostles, the leaders, Paul subjected himself, submitted himself, and biblically, the word submission, understand this. This is really important for you to understand. Submission in the scriptures is never the idea that, look, that's the boss, you do what he says. Here's the leader, you obey. That's not what it means. It's not what it means in a church. It's not what it means in a marriage. Submission, the word means to get yourself in line, to work with someone, to realize that what you have collectively is more important and valuable than what you have individually. And so Paul came and submitted himself, not in terms of, hey, Peter, is it okay if I teach this? Hey, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see. He had a run-in with Peter, and he didn't have a problem calling him out in front of everyone. There's a time for that. But in this case, he's going, you know what? It just might be that if we sit down and have a talk, and I tell him not what they heard I said, but here's actually what I say hey, maybe we can iron things out and I can get back to the race. Now, if the disciples had told him, you have to get circumcised, Paul wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have said, okay, I guess the church council decided this is what we're supposed to do. No, but he came here out of expedience to say, I'm sure we can work this out. And the Bible teaches us, you know, over in Matthew 18, Jesus talks about, hey, when you have a difference with someone, why don't you try going to them? You might be able to work it out, and it doesn't blow up and make a big mess. It doesn't always work. It's not something that applies in every case, and you're always going to fix it. But it's a great first step to say, I wonder if what's going on here is just a misunderstanding. I wonder if because I'm coming from a different place than they are, that we've got people are talking and yipping at each other, and they're all these things... I wonder if just talking might end this and get us back on the racetrack, get us back into doing what God has called us to do. And this, I believe, is something that we need to pray about and should probably be our first step 
in an attempt. Now, it might not be. There are some situations where you don't even need to do that. And Matthew 18 even wouldn't apply. In this case, for instance, with these guys that were trying to rip them off, Paul didn't even talk to them. But with the apostles, he said, let's come to an understanding. And this is so important for us to do. There are so many divisions within the body. There are so many divisions, one church against another and things like that, that happen just because people don't talk. Just because they won't take the time to say, you know what, we are all being hindered by the race that we've been called to run. Let's see if we can get an understanding of each other. It's true with churches and it's true with individuals. There are some times when marriages are split up just because they won't talk. That I know, and sometimes I'll sit and listen to two sides of a dispute in a marital situation, and I'll just go, this is so weird because I totally understand what you're both saying, but you guys aren't understanding each other. And I know that it's that lack of understanding that's ripping you apart. You're both good. I, now, there are times when you talk to somebody who's having problems or issues, and you can pick. There's one with a black hat on and one with a white hat on. But in most cases, it's just a question of that I see the world through my own lens and you see it through your own lens and I don't give you the benefit of the doubt because I don't really understand how you could think the way you do or act the way you do. And so Paul and Barnabas take this step and he brings Titus, this Gentile pastor, as exhibit A to go, you guys want to look at what we're doing? Have you ever really listened to what we teach? You're taking issue with me, but are you really hearing? Oh, I, I hear people all the time who attack other churches and other ministries and other people. And then you say, you ever been there? You ever actually listen to them teach or read their books? Well, no, I don't have to because a guy on the Internet told me what I ought to believe. How about just, you know, just listen. And it might just be that it's not what you've heard that it's not what you think. And, and that's what Paul's trying to do here. And it was very successful because it ended up at the end, the other apostles, as we'll see next week, gave them the right hand of fellowship. And though they never saw things the same, and they continued to have their issues, as he and Peter did, yet they all agreed, you know what? Well, what you're telling us, that's exactly what we believe too. The gospel, when it comes down to the simplicity of the gospel, hey, we're right with you. And I'm glad that we had this talk. And I believe that the overwhelming majority of the differences that we have with people could be worked out if we would just communicate, if we would just talk and, and listen. If I would listen to you and you would listen to me and then I could tell you what I think you think to the point where you go, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. Okay, great. Usually if you can get to that point, the problem is solved. If we're willing to say there are some things we disagree on, that's fine. Let's go our separate ways and support each other and pray for each other. So that's the one way, and I believe the predominant primary way in which we deal with differences. God makes us different. We need to get together and discover what those differences are and understand how does your background, how does what you have gone through, the way you've been raised, your church experience, your, I mean, in a family, think about it. You have two people who marry each other, and you have two completely diverse backgrounds. And you can't possibly experience everything that your spouse has experienced in life. You've been different places. And you go, do you really understand what it's like to have lived my life? Well, 
Let me try to explain it to you. Let's talk about it. Let's understand it. Then you add kids to the formula, which the way things seem to work genetically is your kids inherit the worst traits of both spouses. And it's like, what? where did this come from? And you hate it. You look at your kids, and they look just like what you hate about yourself. And you're like, ah. So what do you do? Just go, that's it. Let's just all divorce each other. Let's just live separate lives. No. We talk. We learn. We listen. We give the benefit of the doubt. We forgive where forgiveness is necessary. We try to explain. Thank God that even in families that get completely split up, so often, eventually, you know, the priorities of life prevail. And I know a lot of people who for years had no relationship with their kids at all. Kids grew up and didn't want anything to do with them, and the parents were happy with that too. And then quite often, once they have, start having kids, all of a sudden now the parents don't think those differences were so important. They're like, hey, I want to be around my grandkids. So they start kissing up to their kids like they should have done all along. And then the kids who are like, I don't want anything to do with mom and dad, then they need a free babysitter, and they're like, you know, mom and dad aren't so bad. <laughs> But where it ought to end up is that, can we understand each other? Can we realize we are family? And we cannot continue the race that we're called to do if we don't have that communication. Now, what about these other guys? It says there were false brethren, verse 4, who secretly were brought in, came in by stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. We didn't yield submission even for an hour. I wouldn't give them the time of day in order that the truth of the gospel might continue. These are people who were actually taking away that which set you free. You have to be very wary of people who would, who would let you believe that the gospel isn't really good news. The people who would come to you and say, I have good news for you. I can tell you how to live. I will make your decisions for you. You need to be like me. Church of Dave, sign up in the back. There's a, there's a sign-up sheet in the foyer. That's not good news. All that will do is lay a burden on you. On top of dealing with everything else in your life, now you have to deal with pleasing Dave also. And that's bad news because I'm not easy to please. I can't please myself. And so here with these guys, they were coming in and their whole thing wasn't a misunderstanding at all. What they were trying to do is to enslave people that God had set free. They were trying to come in, and this includes the Judaizers up in Galatia, the ones from Jerusalem that came up, the ones that Paul was just so upset with. There in Acts 15, they cooked up a whole case against him. And what did they do? They see Titus, this Gentile, filled with the Spirit, loving God, serving God, pastoring churches, and they go, Titus needs to get circumcised. Now, does it seem a little strange to you? How did they know that he wasn't circumcised? How do you, how do you find something like that? Well, I could speculate, get myself in a lot of trouble. But let me just say this. People who are trying to take your freedom away from you, people who would rob you of the, of the truth of the gospel, are quite often very involved in personal areas of your life. And they become very expert at 
peaking places that they shouldn't be and, and focusing on and calling attention to areas where they believe you haven't measured up and you've failed. And they're really good at making you feel bad about who you are when God looks at you and he feels very good about who you are because he paid the penalty for your sin. It's amazing how some people can focus so much on negativity, believing and ostensibly trying to declare a righteous standard. And really all they're doing is peeking down people and, and trying to see who they are secretly. I saw, I got an email the other day from one of these right wing, and, and I appreciate them and I, and I get a lot of good information from them, so I'm not knocking that. But, but they call attention to all the sins that are out in the world. And this particular issue was designed to get you to write in about some sleazy thing that was on television. And they described it in great detail. What happened in this scene and on this show? And it's so important that we write in and, and say, we saw this on TV and we're disgusted by it. And, we're, and I'm sure it was disgusting. I trust them that far. But on their little email to me, they had a button. And they said, if you click here, you can watch this disgusting scene for yourself so that then you can write them and tell them how disgusting they are. And I thought... I don't think I need to do that. I don't think I, I'll trust you. It's disgusting. It reminded me of, you know, people who go to the refrigerator and taste the milk, and they go, ooh, I think this is sour. Here, try it. <laughs> if it tastes bad, why do I need to try it? You know, why do you want me to, ooh. But unfortunately, there are people who are so focused on what other people are doing or not doing that they're really good at making you feel bad. They're really good at pointing out all the sins that are out there and all of the problems and situations. They're experts in sin. And I just think, you know, in fact, I'll tell you right now, if you're snooping around, sniffing out sin in other people's lives, you're looking in the wrong direction. For me, it's a full-time job for me to snoop out the sin in my own life. I really don't have time to do it for others. I don't want to do it. I don't want to see it. I want to look at others through the eyes of Christ, seeing them clothed in His righteousness. I want to see myself, honestly, because I want God to change things about me that are wrong. But these guys, one of the things that just stands out is that they're pointing fingers and going, you need to fix this. You do. You do. What are they trying to do? They're trying to make you a slave, a slave of them. And they'll pretend like it's, oh, just, no, if you're a slave, it's a slave to the law. It's the commandments of God. It's good stuff. It's right. It's true. Whatever is holy. But the truth is, it's whatever is holy according to them. It's following the rules. And they say it's the rules of God, but the truth is, it's their little spin on it. It's their little twist on it. And they will tell you how to live. And the way you'll know, I was talking to a woman after first service and we were talking about this and I could just tell she was under such condemnation and as I shared with her and she was believing that so much of what's going on in her life is God punishing her for her sin. And after talking to her, she wasn't a bank robber or anything, wasn't doing anything really bad, but she was being made to feel that way and, I, and as I hugged her, you know, I said, you know what? You can tell if it's God talking to you or not because when God speaks to you, you'll feel better. When someone speaks to you, when a voice talks to you and it makes you feel worse, it's not God. He uplifts you. He edifies you. Anyone who comes in and tears you down, 
That's a lie from Satan. That's a, a message of condemnation. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, as he told Nicodemus, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came in to save the world. But there are people, and some of them might not be Judaizers, but there are people who are, are trying to con you and manipulate you into, so that they can control you and make you feel subservient to them and take away the freedom that God has given you. And Paul's response to people like that is, I won't give you an hour. I don't need to talk to you. I don't need to try to understand. I don't owe it to you that I explain myself to you. Hit the road. I don't need to listen to this. I don't need something that's going to make me feel lousy. I can do that by myself. If you have something good to say, hey, great, pile it on. But if what you want to do is to tell me how much I need you and tell me how bad I am, I already know how bad I am, but it was put on Jesus Christ. Every sin I've ever committed, everything I've done that's wrong, everything I'm going to do that's wrong, he forgave me. He gives me a fresh start. And that's the message that I want to hear. Now, the problem is, how do you know which category people are in? There are a lot of times when there are people who I have differences with that I absolutely convince myself that they're these evil, sneaky people who are trying to rip off my freedom. But when I pray about it, God sometimes shows me their heart. And I realize, you know, this person's very hostile to me, but it still might just be a misunderstanding. There are other times when there are people who are, are so nice and sweet and caring, and I, and I just know if I could just explain it to you, I know that we could patch things up and we could both get back on the road, and I do it again and again and again, and I talk and I talk and I listen and I listen, and I don't get anywhere with those people. And I realize, you know what? This is someone that's just trying to take away something from me. They're not really trying to give to me as they pretend to be. So... How do you know the difference? Again, back in the beginning, Paul said this came by revelation. We need to get so close to God that we hear his voice, that he lets us know, okay, we're in a race. Now, is pulling off here going to be a pit stop? Or is it just going to be something that wastes my time and that burdens me more and that is destructive to my growth? And I believe that God will show us He'll save us from those time-wasting conversations. He'll save us from those people who are just professionals at tearing us down. And he will open our eyes to things that absolutely shock us, where somebody that we thought we would never have anything to do with, there's an understanding, there's a healing that takes place, and wow, gloriously, now we're both back on track. Now we're both heading in the direction that God wants us to go. But again, it comes back to that personal relationship with God, that personal devotional life with God, where I take my orders from him. It's how Jesus got so much done in such a short time. He said, everything I do is what the Father tells me to do. And so I ask him about a particular situation or a division. Lord, is this something that I shouldn't give the time of day to? Or is this something that some talk, some sharing, some explanation might really lead to a beautiful restoration and a healing. Now, none of us knows perfectly. And you shouldn't feel bad if you get sucked into 
getting off the racetrack for a while, and then you realize later, man, am I beat up over this. Because now you're wiser as a result. Just put, file that away and remember it. At the same time, it's good every once in a while to take a chance on communication, even though you have a feeling, I don't know if this is going to work or not. But ultimately, the ideal is for God to lead and to guide us to where nothing comes into our life that pulls us off the track. Sometimes I get pulled out of the race just by something that someone does to me. And I get bummed and I am unforgiving and I become bitter and I put myself on the shelf. You guys, we have a race to run and we can't afford to spend a bunch of time on the sidelines. We can't afford to just be licking our wounds off in a corner somewhere. We need to stay in the race. And how do we do that? It's the gospel. It's focusing on the good news. Understanding you know, everything I need, Jesus has accomplished. Everything that I do that's wrong, every area in which I fail, He already died for it. It's as far as the east is from the west. He's forgiven. He's healed. He promises it. I need to stick with the gospel. At the same time, I need to realize when I start taking on weight. I need to realize when I start, you know, it's just something's not right here. And figure out, okay, how did this happen? As Jesus said, and you've heard me quote it a ton of times, he said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Therefore, hey, if your yoke isn't easy and your burden is light, I guarantee it's not the burden that God has placed on you. And if things happen in life that cause you to feel more trapped and less free and more struggling and straining, hey, somebody's sneaking in and ripping you off. Someone's taking away from you what Jesus died to give you. Oh, the glorious truth of the gospel is that we're free. That we don't have to be in bondage. Not in bondage to sin, not in bondage to the law, not in bondage to people. The good news is every day should be a great day for us. Every day we should sense that, that lightness, that, that floating sort of sensation that you feel. It's kind of like, you know, and I don't even think they use these anymore, but back in the day, one of the things that people would do who were really into their health they would put these big old sand weights and strap them on their ankles, thinking that would be good for you. It's actually not good for you. It's a good way to pull muscles and a good way to keep chiropractors in business, but it's really a bad thing for you. The only thing good about those ankle weights, man, when you took them off, you felt like you were greased lightning. You felt like you were the world's fastest man or woman. We ought to have that feeling because the gospel says whatever baggage you pick up today... He's going to take it off. Whatever it is that people dump on you, he's going to come in with his big vacuum cleaner and just suck it right off. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Now, along the way, yeah, we're going to clash. Some of those clashes are just opportunities for us to learn, to understand, to, to receive from each other. Ann and I were studying because she's going to be teaching in Ephesians and one of my favorite passages that she's going to be teaching on this Tuesday for the women and it's the comprehension with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God I just absolutely love that passage and it's something that God wants to do in us and he does it with us collectively when someone in the body who is different than I am 
And I can understand how, why they are the way they are. And as we communicate, it's like, wow, there's a greater appreciation. This weight is lifted. And with other people, I'm comprehending the breadth and depth and height of his love. At the same time, there are people who just want to cheat. They have no intention of working things out with you. What they want to do is rip you off. And how we need to know from God which is which. And be discerning enough. You know, it's really, when you look at it, if you look back on it, it's really clear. It's very simple. Like I told that lady this morning. After you listen, do you feel better? Do you feel worse? It's kind of easy. Because the gospel is him removing from us burdens. The law is placing burdens on us. And as I was talking to someone this week, and they said they heard it on the radio program, the day the law was given, as the people were worshiping the golden calf, God killed 3,000 people. But the day the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people were saved, received life. God doesn't want to kill you. He wants to give you life. But along the way, as we discover our differences, there are opportunities for healing and communication, and there are other situations that we just need to walk away from and not waste our time and say, right now, I can't afford to take on an extra burden. I can't carry yours. I don't want to get along with your trip. If sitting and talking will help, yeah, let's do it. But if that isn't helping, sorry, not an hour not an opportunity, because, as Paul said, the reason why he didn't, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. And that's ultimately our choice. Do you want the gospel? Do you want it to be about good news? Do you want God to remove it and say, it's all about me, it's not a religion, it's not an obligation, it's not a set of rules, it's receiving from me what I want to do, allowing my spirit to work within you? Hey, that's great news. Bad news if you reject it. Bad news if you add to it. You can be so excited in the Lord and then one thing comes in and you're robbed of your joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength so you're robbed of your strength. And believe me, the enemy's really good at knowing how to do that. And sad to say, he sometimes uses good people to do it. Now, my heart for these people who were sneaking in, who were conniving and everything, isn't like, okay, we just need to go kill those kind of people. Church would be much better. We hear somebody dumping burdens on someone, let's take them out. No. It should be, I mean, imagine someone who's doing that. Imagine the burden of being them. Imagine the burden of living a life not understanding the freedom that is in Christ. And being so miserable that instead of having that misery lifted, you put that misery on other people. It's sad. And they're not outside the touch of the Lord. They're not outside the opportunity for Him to touch them. But just understand this, you're not going to fix them. Don't even try. Ask God to give you the discernment to know in what different areas can it help to communicate and in what areas should I just not even go there and not mess with it. And in those areas, you commit them to the Lord, those people, you commit them to the Lord, and you pray, and you go, you know, they've got their trip, but I am so glad for the truth of the gospel. I am so glad for the freedom that is in Christ that says, I don't have a burden. If I'm weighed down, I just picked up something that's not my problem. 
That's his problem. And I'll dump it off on him. And I want to walk in that freedom and that newness of life. Let's pray. Lord, it's so awesome that you've taken care of everything. You've paid the tab already. You've covered it. You did everything that we needed. And now freely, you just give to us. And boy, for us, that's great news. The fact that you set us free is awesome news. Lord, we still have our differences, though. And I pray that you will help us to communicate more with those we care about, with those we love, with those within our family. Help us to put out that effort to get us both back on the race. Lord, to be open to understanding and accepting our differences and accepting that it might be okay for us to be different. In fact, that you love it that way. But Lord, there are also these little things that creep into our lives who just want to steal our liberty who just want to trap us and chain us and burden us. You'll have to deal with them. We don't want to. So God, I pray that you would deal with them and that you would give us the sense to stay away and to not even give an hour more to trying to discuss with someone who has another agenda. So Lord, guide us throughout the days to know which is which. And God, Help us to understand that at all costs, we cannot let go of the gospel. In its simplicity, in its glory, in its glorious freedom. Help us to value that good news above all else. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.